0: Hello and welcome back to the Hoopla Improv Podcast, the podcast all about the who, what and where of improv. My name's Leo Maxwell and every episode I'll be interviewing great improvisers, getting their top tips, favourite exercises and even a wee bit of juicy improv goss along the way. My guest for this episode, recorded a few months ago in stricter lockdown times, is perhaps one of the finest impressionists on the UK improv scene. Mr. Andrew Gentili. Not only is Andrew famed for his fantastic celebrity impersonations, he is an expert character improviser, bringing his shows, music box and beings to life with his unique physicality and commitment. In this episode, Andrew gives his top tips on how you can master any accent, the importance of regression in physical improvisation, how musical improv isn't necessarily about being the best singer, and we're also joined by a couple of his high-profile friends. Enjoy. Andrew Gentile, welcome to the Hoopla Impro Podcast. Thank you, thank you. Um, How are you doing? Yeah, not bad, yeah, just just about staying sane. Um, Have you also been using this period of isolation to do impressions, voices, characters around the flat? I have done exactly that, yeah,
1: Um, because I discovered this... Have you seen this new Google thing where you type an animal? it puts a 3D animal in your space. No. And um, you can go right up close, you can move it around, and it just locks it in place. And it, it looks very convincing. So I've been um, doing a few things where I pretend to be Quint from Jaws, who's being visited by the shark and various other sea creatures.
0: Now, I don't know Jaws. Now, this might be right. a real slight on me, but what would that sound like to the uninitiated?
1: Oh, OK, so... <laughs> Ugh can't talk like this he's a fisherman he goes a shark hunting doesn't
0: he <laughs> okay oh gosh so i'm imagining uh you know any other inhabitants of your neck of the woods in london seeing you do this through the window
1: i've been living in this flat for 15 years and um the neighbors will have heard so many things that they're probably too frightened to see who who, who lives in this this place so
0: um if one of those people managed to accost you on the street and said to mm-hmm. you, hey, you mister who talks to yourself um, and with all the characters, you sound like you might be an improviser. If I want to get into improv, what would be um, some top tips? What would you say to oh, them? I like that segue, by the way. That is a good, very good. Not my first time. Uh, um,
1: yeah. Um, uh, in terms of how to get into improv or top tips of um because obviously, I would say uh, I would adv- I would point them towards Hoopla. Um, would be my would would be where I sort of send them, um, and have done. And uh, it also depends what kind of person they are, and you know, different schools perhaps cater to different personality types. Yes. Um, but
0: Hoopla is just uh, ah can't go wrong. Because I think a lot of people. That's an interesting point. A lot of people might think, oh, I have something to give. I want to be creative. I've maybe acted before. I want to try comedy. But it's quite a daunting thing to, you know, put yourself into a position of going to an improv class.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it takes, it takes some courage. But that's the beauty of the drop-ins, is that you can just go, look, I'll jump in. No one's going to know me. And I'll just have a go. And if I hate it, I won't come back ever again. And I, th- I, I, I think that very rarely happens because... People probably get bitten by the bug, as as, mm. as you probably did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you're teaching one of those drop-ins, what would be mm-hmm. something that you would, like maybe three tips that you would like yeah. to impart upon those um, newbies into improv? I mean, my, my sort of top tips really are, I mean, the, the first
1: one, uh, which is going to sound very corny, uh, is, is have fun. Um, I, I think that is so important because... I believe that when you're having fun, that's what it feels like when uh, your sort of creativity is really unleashed. And you'll do the things that are very specific to you, the the kind of the things that gave you a hunger to want to do improv in the first place,
0: Mm.
1: if you're having fun. So I think it's good to sort of check in with yourself and ask, are you having fun? And if you are, then the audience is probably going to have fun as well. You've been teaching a long time, right, Hoopla?
0: Yeah, a few years. Yeah. Um, And you must have seen a myriad of different student types, different people who, you know, might end up on the main stage in a year or two or might just do it once. Um, Is there something where you can see the fun maybe isn't there for some people? And you're just like, okay, maybe for you that you just it's it's not the right headspace or.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've I've been um, I've been a part of or even created shows where maybe there were times where we weren't having fun because maybe we were too focused on uh, are we technically getting this right? Are we hitting all the, the, the precise narrative beats that we're supposed to hit? Um, how are we coming across? Things that can get in the way and stop you from having fun. Um, and if that's what's happening, then you kind of get a zombie show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be like technically perfect, but you're not really enjoying yourself, so it's kind of a dead show. And the audience, I think, can feel that and so they're not really going
0: to have a good time either which can be confusing for people even if you've done improv for a long time if you're thinking I'm hitting everything here like why yeah. is there not laughter coming through from the audience It'd be like because you look rigid on yeah exactly exactly um, um, I just think it's a good thing is um,
1: and I think so much of improv is uh, state control so making sure you go into the uh, the show in the right psychological or emotional state if you can get yourself into a place where you're gonna have fun because you've sort of prepared that way, then you'll do a better show. So ideally, you want to be in a place where you're sort of open and, uh, and you're sort of ready and, you know, you're, you're sort of available and you're basically having a good time.
0: How do you get into that headspace before a show? If you're doing music box or beings, what are your favourite like warm-up techniques? What are your favourite warm-up exercises?
1: I mean, there's a bunch of warm-up exercises uh, what one can do with the group. One that I will do, just to zero in on this, on myself, just to make sure I'm in a sort of optimal state, is I'll just say yes in my head. Just yes. Uh, yeah, just yes.
0: Over and over I'll again, just, or just I'll once? Just,
1: I'll keep saying it, but in a more like excited way. So it, if I do it out loud now, this will sound weird, but it will be like it will be like, yes, 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 yes.
0: I really hope your neighbours can hear that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was another one to add to the list there. But I'll do something like that in my head and it just kind of forces me into a positive state because your nerves are going to be chasing you. And there's all kinds of fears and dark roads you can go down if you let it. But if you sort of choose to focus on a positive thing and, and, and choose to be excited about what's going to happen, you're about to go on stage and do a, a really fun show and have some really good fun with people you love playing with, then you'll be in a, you know, puts you in a good state.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I think a beginners improvisers would love to hear that because that's the biggest thing is nerves. And, and nerves aren't a bad thing. It's just that they're they are they're the right energy
1: just with a negative spin. So when you do the yes, yes, you take that, that nervous energy and you give it a positive spin and you transform it into excitement. Mm-hmm. And then you're sort of using the nerves to make you even better because you're using that, that energy, which which is a gift.
0: And it could be nerves. It could be, I don't know, anything else that you've... You've taught, say, because you do the um, accents and characters stuff mm. with Hoopla, um, you've done, you do other levels. What are your favourite exercises when you know you're going to go and teach a class? What are yeah. your favourite exercises to get people in a, I don't know, it could be, it could be a listening mindset, it could be um, mm-hmm. agreements?
1: Yeah, yeah. So my, my favourite exercise, which I use pretty much across the board and usually at the, the beginning of a, a class, is uh, I, I've come to call it mimic but it might be called different things in, in different places. Um, and that's a simple one where, and I think we, we've probably done it before because I've, uh, coached a mm-hmm. captain forever. Was it?
0: Yeah. Captain forever.
1: For a bit. Um, and yeah, so everyone's standing in a circle and then someone just says something and we usually involving a physical thing like good morning, Jonathan. And then the next person mimics that exactly. You have to just mimic it exactly. And then, then that person does it to the person number three, and then number three mimics it exactly to person number four. And it goes around, and without anyone doing anything, it will naturally morph and change as it goes around. And also, as it goes around, people will laugh or make mistakes and things, and those are incorporated into it as it goes around.
0: I think that sounds like a really great one for getting people out of their heads if they've come from a professional environment because at Hoopla and probably other places where we get a lot of people who work in high stress jobs and to kind of yeah. close that door on that world and come into yeah. a world where you can just do something like that, which must get you so out of that professional mindset and into like, okay, we're in improv now.
1: Uh, totally, yeah. I mean, I, I love it for, for that reason. It's so silly. So everyone's just, and because you're mimicking the, the last person everyone's sort of having the piss taken but together Mm. um and it's not it's not personal Um, and it just becomes this thing that we all sort of create together and i just think it distills what we're we're doing in essence in improv which is paying attention like crazy Mm. to the other person and using that to inform what we then do next um and you can't do it without without listening you know it forces you into it
0: yeah and that from having seen you um, teach that before it involves something that you're very fond of as well which is physicality yes yeah, yes because you do a lot of physicality in your show beings with susan harrison and i think that's a show full of weird and wonderful characters sometimes you play humans uh, often you don't play humans um, <laughs> but you are one of the best people
1: <laughs> that's literally what we've got on the uh, is it on our blurb
0: yeah oh right well maybe i've done my research maybe i haven't oh, very
1: good. Very good
0: um yeah but you are one of the best people at playing non-humans i think that i've seen was that something you've always done was that something you've done beforehand yes yeah i, I i've often sort of found things
1: you know amusing or interesting that might be from the animal world or whatever mm. and have wanted to to sort of mimic that yeah um, And usually something just sort of interests me somehow the way something looks or moves or sounds or a person and then you're sort of fascinated with it and then you sort of feel this compulsion to mimic it for some reason for some reason i don't know why
0: well i think it's quite rare skill in improv because a lot of people find playing i don't know it could be low status characters or children or animals quite difficult and that's where beings is a very different show what would you do to help people get over that fear of I don't know, they're they're holding back for some reason of doing that sort of physicality.
1: I think it's just, I mean, you you sort of want to regress back
0: to being a kid again,
1: where those blockages just aren't there because you're just running around and you don't care anymore. Um, So I'd encourage you you to get the whole class to do it. I sometimes ask people to do this dinosaur thing.
0: How? Explain.
1: All right. I'm going to try and demonstrate it here, right? So I saw this, this show in Edinburgh... And some guy did this dinosaur thing, right? He just walked across the room, Mm -hmm. and it was like this. Okay, you won't be able to see the whole thing, right? But you'll see you'll see enough to get what's going on. Okay.
0: Andrew is currently walking across the screen very gingerly, um, a pained expression on his face, um, with his hands like a velociraptor. Okay. So, so, okay, it was really weird. And
1: in case you couldn't see, there's put they had their face like this the whole time.
0: Um, like you've just been licking a lemon
1: perfect and um it was so inhuman and weird and the slow tiptoe pace of it and so sometimes in a class i'll get the whole class to do that to cross the room as that creature and and that is such a massive transformation but they just sort of they begin given something very specific to do and i think Once you can give people that, then they're like, oh, okay, I can do it. And then they've got the freedom to do whatever other creatures they might want.
0: Yeah. If you make them do that and they're all going to be seeing each other doing something silly and they're doing something that kind of they wouldn't do usually. It gets you out of the mindset of doing it in front of an audience, certainly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And also it's quite a you have to be quite rigid when you're doing it. So it takes a lot of uh, sort of control and commitment. And it's really commitment that sort of sees you through sees you through a show, really. I mean, you, you've got to jump in all the way and uh, you'll probably swim. But if you go half-hearted, then you'll probably sink.
0: Was that aspect of your show um, being something that you and Susan talked about beforehand? Or was it something that um, just came about naturally? Uh, it sort of came about naturally because uh, beings
1: evolved out of a group called Storybag which was a bigger narrative group. And one day, Sue and I were the only two people who could do a show. We really enjoyed just doing the two-prof thing, which we hadn't done before, or I hadn't done before. Sue's a great character performer, and we had talked about maybe doing a two-prof sometime, because I think our instincts were quite similar. So this sort of forced us into making it happen. Uh, And we did it, and we really enjoyed it. And then we thought, let's do that again. And then actually moments before the beginning of that, the second time we did it, we were thinking, what, what should we call this thing? And uh, we were like, okay, we're playing different... What do we do? What, we're, I guess we're different beings. Like we're sort of human beings and, and non-human beings. So we just call it beings.
0: I think the poster of it is something, and the photo that you guys have is something that really encapsulates what it is. Because you just look at it and okay. you just think, I want to see that show. Because you don't, I, I don't... For you, do you like playing characters that you know like a fish or a dragon or something or something that could be completely out of nowhere and you kind of piling different things on top of each other i mean that you know that's the beauty of ask for's you know you want
1: the audience to give you something that is uh, something fresh that you maybe haven't done before or you know if they say fish or something it's great to play a fish Yeah, i love doing that and i've obviously done (laughs) done that before (laughs) yeah hopefully you get thrown some curveballs and you've just got to make it happen
0: yeah and i think the audience must really love you must notice the audience really loving seeing that commitment from you because they're going to be like well how are they going to you know create this character and then you give it everything go full gusto with it yeah yeah yeah
1: absolutely um so that that's always a joy i always love that. that's why you know i love short form uh because you're getting so many ask for's all the time and that, that challenge is yeah and uh and in beings as well you've got just knowing that the canvas is so big you know if you feel like playing um, you know the moon or some non-existent spiritual entity or a a demon or you know to know that you can or you can I think we did a show once where we zoomed in inside someone's heart for a bit
0: that sounds Um, beings very beings
1: yeah and just knowing that you can go literally anywhere is quite exciting It's probably the most terrifying show uh, for me to do because there are no stabilizers. I mean, we have a more, we have, we do have this kind of a structure where we get three suggestions and we try to sort of play out three different storylines, but you don't quite know. And there's so much, you know, almost more rope to hang yourself with kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, that's part of the thrill. And the only way to get through it is just to commit.
0: I mean, personally, I can see you doing a very good job as a demon, but, uh, that might be purely because of the goatee um, on display. I think that might really suit. That's not a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay, caught me off guard there. Sorry, sorry. Um, It doesn't take me on swiftly to my next point, but what I want to talk to you about next is something that's fascinated me and scares me, but you do very well, is musical improv. Um, Because you're in Music Box, and musical improv can be very daunting for many improvisers, especially those who might not be trained singers. What advice would you give to anyone who might love improv, might also love musicals, but doesn't have a trained voice?
1: Well, I mean, I've been in Music Box for maybe seven or eight years now,
0: and I can't sing. (laughs) (laughs) Is that is that honestly you can't sing? Because you do a very good job of it.
1: No, that's very nice of you to say, but I'm not a singer. I'm a shower singer at best. Tom Hodge on the keys does such a good job of playing, and I just sort of roar along with him and try to keep it in time, and uh, it kind of works. But obviously, there are people in Music Box who are really genuinely great singers who are going to raise the roof. I know I'm not one of them. I think a musical show, the cast needs to have some people that are going to deliver the goods in terms of a musical. And I think if you do that, you can have a few... You know, I tell myself, you know, Bob Dylan can't really sing, so...
0: Uh... <laughs> yeah, and kind of Bruce Springsteen can't either, really.
1: Yeah, you know, there are these sort of broken voices, they can be called. So I go, well, this can be some imperfect... And look, uh, the bottom line is that as long as you're not completely off with the timing and you're not, you know, wrecking the, the music... Yeah. And you're singing from the heart, whatever that character is... The audience will go with you.
0: Now, I don't know whether you've seen this film or not, but Mm -hmm. Mamma Mia 1. I have seen that. I am probably... I don't know if you might join me on this, but not many people do. This bandwagon, the bandwagon of one person. I like Pierce Brosnan singing in that film for the very Mm. reason you just said, which is it sounds like it comes from the heart. It's not good. It's very gravelly. It's very not like a great singing voice at all. But what he's singing about matters to his character and I liked that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I think now if all of the film had
1: Brosnan level singers, that's not gonna that's not gonna fly. Okay, but you can afford to have a Brosnan because you've got Streep and all these others doing really good singing. So music box can have them, <laughs> afford to have me because you've got some players there that are absolutely beautiful singers. Uh so
0: It must be nice to be in a group like that to know that you've got people who might be good um, physical improvisers or character improvisers, musical improvisers or game improvisers, and everyone's going to bring different things to that show.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the joys of uh, being in a team and casting is uh, having that mixed bag and being like, okay, you know, so-and-so can bring the grenades, so-and-so's on sniper, Hmm. so-and-so, you know, you've got people with different skills they bring to the table.
0: And what made you want to take the plunge? If you're not a trained singer and you don't particularly think you're like the best singer in the group, what made you jump into it? Well, I mean, I was very
1: surprised when, again, seven or eight years ago, I was asked to audition for it. And I, you know, I thought, why the hell do they want me to audition for Music Box? Because I'm not, I'm not a singer.
0: Mm. Um,
1: But I thought, what the hell? Uh, and just went in and um, did the audition and because I had no I wasn't desperate to get into the group so I just I was very free in the audition I think and I just did my thing as best I could and I had done singing before because we play like sounds like a song in some short form so I had been sort of already pushed him onto the stage to sing before so I had if I hadn't done that I probably wouldn't have gone anywhere near it Yeah. Um, and so I thought and also, you know, Steve Rowe, he was in, you know, in Music Box and he's a, an incredible improviser. I think you might agree that he's, you know, like me, he's not a, a born singer. And so he's doing it. So I sort of thought, wow, OK, let me uh, I'll just give this a shot and see what happens. And they, they asked me to come in.
0: I wonder how many people in um, the London improv scene and further afield, um, hoopla improv scene especially, have gone into battle following Steve Rowe. I I think, you know, he's he's such an
1: enabler, you know, he just gets people out of their shell and encourages them and shows the way, quite special that way.
0: He is. I think he, I remember him saying to me, probably the first time I did a beginner's course, and this is someone who makes money out of selling improv courses, he, Mm -hmm. I said, well, what else do I need to do? What levels do I need to do? He was like, just get on stage, just get on stage. That's the best way you're going to learn. Yeah. Um, I thought that's brutally honest, but really lovely
1: that's great yeah
0: that's a very And I, when i did would
1: go to hoopla classes years ago he was so good and he would uh he just created a wonderful playground because i'd come out of drama school where <laughs> there's not necessarily a spirit of fun and play the whole time yeah i
0: imagine not
1: <laughs> so with steve roe you know being encouraging everyone to be as much of an idiot as possible it just gets good work out of people because they're in a climate of a climate of joy and freedom instead of a climate of fear. And it might be horses for courses, but I definitely flourish under the the former.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people who will be listening to this hopefully do that as well. If we come on to my next point, which is accents, Um, and it's something that I think can be a bit of a strange tool in improv, because I think I've lent on them sometimes a little too much. Mm -hmm. And I think I used to wonder when I first got into improv, why isn't this accent getting the same reaction from the audience as they' like a great line? Have you felt that over the years have you changed the way you use accents or how many times you use them or where you utilize them
1: and I think you know we've talked about this because you've you've got a real knack for accents and um, there is uh, it, it, you know what one can sort of lean on that and hope that that might be entertaining in itself and not um, do the proper do the proper improv work and mm. um i guess someone who has a sort of predilection for doing accents has to sort of realize that they have to they have to go for a while and put that down and make sure that they're doing proper improv not resting on their laurels and you know doing proper stuff and then you can pick them back up again and uh i don't know if that's something that you if that's something you experienced.
0: Oh, yeah, massively. I think, especially at the beginning, um, being in The Descendants as well, because we Mm -hmm. we do a lot of character stuff, I still fall back into that. I still fall back into those old pitfalls. Yeah, because that's just something I've always done in my life, so I thought, well, I'll bring it to the stage Mm -hmm. as well, and it can be useful in certain aspects. But um, Mm -hmm. what I think is interesting, and you might find this as well, is that the people who can't do say you're in a scene and it's set in a Glaswegian factory, the people who can't do it in your team and the audience can tell they can't do it, but they give it a go, gets a much better reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, when, when people give it a go, that's always
1: the best, you know, the best laugh. Yeah. I think it's uh, as long as you're, you're doing the accent, uh, you know, it's, it's it's appropriate for the, the story and the scene and you're not doing gratuitously, mm. then I think it's, it makes absolute sense to bring it in. You, it helps to sort of paint the world and you know create the world. And it's quite nice to, you know, if you're doing different storylines and stuff or playing different characters in one show, having different voices
0: helps to sort of, you know, delineate them more clearly Um, because you teach accents and character stuff with hoopla i'm so interested in that because it's something that i think i've been lucky enough and you're probably the same to be able to do it from like a um a younger age but if people are coming into it wanting to learn it how Mm. do you go about teaching them from scratch
1: there's there's sort of different phases of it what one part of it is getting people just to sort of subtract themselves so you know I try and get people to realize that you know the only way you sound, the way you sound is is why? I mean why do you have the voice that you have?
0: Your environment and your upbringing
1: Right. So you mimicked the people around you, and now you sound that way. So I, I just go, well, you've still got that skill. I mean, yes, you know the brain sort of concretizes as you get older and things change, but you can still do that, and a lot of it is about just giving yourself permission to do that so i try and create an environment where people feel free to just sort of let go of themselves and play with themselves not in that
0: way yes do you know what i mean um yeah that freedom of feeling unencumbered of any stress or pressure must be really nice for them just to hear that maybe for the first time
1: well you're this thing with this this body and this voice and you can do all sorts of things with it and maybe things that you haven't done with it before And that's why things like Mimic, I think, is so good, because Mm. they right at the start of the class, you're starting to do things. You know, you've come from the office, and now you're going, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's (laughs) It's so
0: bizarre. If the person in front of you in the Mimic line has done... an accent where the jaw is jutting out and they're talking like that or something like that. And someone passes it around maybe for the first time they're doing an accent. They never would have done beforehand, but they're just mimicking. They're not even thinking about it. They're just jutting their jaws out.
1: So step one is sort of give, give them the permission to get them to give, give themselves permission to, uh, become different things and to play, use their voice and body as an instrument and not just a house. (laughs) <laughs> that makes sense, <laughs> um, and and then the next bit is really I, I will learn an accent. Most of this stuff will happen automatically, so it took me a while to sort of break down what I'm doing and turn them into sort of playable exercises. But one thing I sort of say is catch a corner. So just find a a, a sentence a, a phrase in that accent or the person you're impersonating, and just mimic that. And the class have already done it because we've just been doing mimic and they've already found that they can become more things than they thought they could. So just zero in on that little sentence and uh, drill that until you can mimic it. And once you've got that down, then we sort of unleash it in, in, uh, on stage or you know, in class in scenes and in sort of high emotion, high intensity scenes um, that, that are fun where they don't have time to think too much. And they just take that, that sentence that they've got. And, and if, they, if they start to lose the accent, you just say that sentence again.
0: So have you got any that you use, any sentences that you use for getting into a certain type yeah. of character?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I, I think I mentioned before, the, um, if I've got to do like a Geordie accent, you know, if, I, if you ask me to do it now, I can't do it. So I go, a lot of people come up to me and say, what are you doing? And so I can talk like that for a little bit. And if I lose it again, I can go, a lot of people come up to me and say, what are you doing? I can do it again. Do you see what I mean? So it's like an airplane, it starts to go down, but then you say the word again, it comes up again. And if you do it enough, you can, one day, it's like, you know, riding a bike or something. One day you can just ride it or driving the car. One day the penny drops, it just clicks. So it's practice and doing that. And then one day you can just do it.
0: Um, That must be really satisfying for you as a teacher in those classes to see your students come back again and again after they've done their homework and after they've done that, to see them get from a place where they couldn't do it at all to being able to do it in scenes at the end.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so much of it, as I say, is, you know, if they can do a little bit, which they can, then they can do the rest of it once they conquer that first bit.
0: Um, And is that the same with you for impressions? Do you also take a corner?
1: uh yes yeah exactly yeah so i had to do like a a trump impression recently so i I will go on youtube and look at him speaking and try and catch a corner try and catch a phrase that sort of captures some of his how he sort of speaks i'm trying to think of what it was now i spent the
0: morning with kim jong-un tremendous guy great guy wonderful person that is fantastic. Oh, God. There are some that I, I can't hit, and one of them is Trump because it's a bit New York. It's um, a bit nasally. Um, it's a very hard one to get, and I think watching somebody like Alec Baldwin can be quite good because he does like, the lips out and he does a lot of the hand movements, and that can yeah, be good for yeah, physicality, yeah. but it's a very hard one to do. It's tricky, yeah. Yeah, I haven't really... I've, I've had to do him for a
1: voiceover project, so I haven't worked so much on his sort of physicality. We do, he has popped up in a Beings show once. We had this sort of one in zero <laughs> thing where it's like, um, but yeah, he, he's, um, but yeah, exactly. There's an example of one where, and once I'd got that down, I was kind of able to improvise as Trump or say other sentences.
0: Right. Well, I mean, obviously, because right now, it well, a strange time we're living in um, mm. being completely locked down. I mean, obviously, um, on your webcam, you've got a couple of friends there with you. I was wondering if I could um, ask uh, Mr. Walken over there, how is it day-to-day living in that part of London and not being able to go outside?
1: Leo, I'm having the greatest time. On my own, here in North London. <laughs> the greatest. So, the other day, I went to the supermarket I had to queue for 45 minutes Had the greatest time playing with myself in my own brain it's the best time you could have so
0: Leo tell me what have you been getting up to in Wilsdon Green well in Wilsdon obviously it's different it's very different from um, you know down in Hampstead because we don't have the sort of posh vegetables down, down where you've got them. If I could, if I could ask your friend, um, Mr. De Niro, actually, um, what sort of things have you not been able to buy in the supermarket that you'd usually love to have?
1: I have found it very difficult to get a hold of some bag roll
0: I ain't to wipe my ass. I haven't got
1: anything I can do that with. What am I supposed to wipe my ass with? So I have to go without. It's been difficult. Very difficult.
0: We have to do um, without such a lot of things right now. Um, Your friend, Jonathan Price, we have to do without the theatre, without intellectual hobbies. What are you doing to keep yourself sane in the house?
1: Well, I'm trying to be a good boy. I had to instruct myself (laughs) to
0: put my cock down for the lockdown. I don't know if that's gonna make the edit by hope Do you know what? I'm gonna keep it in. Brilliant. Okay. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Sometimes you just can't help yourself. Okay.
0: Uh, I think we're gonna have a Hooper's gonna have a lawsuit. Something I've been asking everybody, which I'd like to come on to finally, Mm -hmm. is if there was a show that was put on in honour of Angie Gentile. You haven't died, you're still very much alive, but people are just celebrating you for the person you are and the work you've done. Um, but you get to curate it. Who are your top three acts who are going to be on the bill? So I, I love uh, P-graph,
1: Parallelogrammophonograph. So if they're happy to fly in from uh, Austin, Texas...
0: And they do what exactly? Is it Shakespeare?
1: Uh, I, I, they probably have done, but they do uh, improvised plays, basically. Um, usually in genre, sometimes not. Um, and they're quite brilliant because they meticulously study the uh, the genre and then they and they they perfectly embody i I think it's actually roy from peagraph said you're doing two shows when you're up there there's the show that is the fictional narrative that you're you know the play and the other the other show is the interplay between the performers uh you know annoying each other pimping each other and they totally encapsulate those two shows you know, you're marvelling at the craft and you're just belly laughing at, at the fun.
0: I think I remember you telling me about this, that Austin mm. was kind of the hotbed of narrative improv.
1: I, I, I think it's a hotbed. Yeah. I mean, they, they've got there are other theatres around there. There's quite there's a good scene in Austin for sure. Um, and yeah, they run the hideout theatre and they have loads of great shows.
0: And act number two on the Andrew Gentili tribute night.
1: Might have to be Dummy. Yeah, dummy. Um, they are a two-prov uh, who I saw in Chicago. They're a husband and wife duo. Um, yeah, incredible detail, vivid characters, and yeah, it's just magic, absolute magic. You just again, you know, incredible craft and also it's delightfully funny. So um, I'd love to see more of their shows
0: and the headline act. Oh God. <laughs> You haven't picked any Hoopla act yet, which could be a very sensible um, diplomatic decision.
1: Yeah, that is, isn't it? Yeah, you're gonna have to let me think about that. What would be another one? I tell you, I tell you, one I really enjoyed. I, I loved this, and I kept going back. Was, and I'm sorry that it's not another Hoopla one, but I, you know, the genius acts across Hoopla. But again, in Chicago, the uh, improvised Shakespeare. I can't remember if that's exactly the name of the show, but they did it. They did improvised Shakespeare, and again, just howling with laughter. And the way they were doing it all in rhyme, iambic pentameter, et cetera, et cetera. Incredible. It's uh, you're making me pick favourites here, which means I have to exclude other great acts. So uh, you know, it's a difficult position to be in. But those were certainly three shows that that really blew me away. Probably when I was sort of getting into improv and you know had just started had already been doing it but then what you saw these things you you just went all over again how is that humanly possible
0: well i'd just like to say from the bottom of our hearts thank you so much andrew for coming on the podcast chris it would be the greatest honor come back thank you for taking the time to listen to the hoopla impro podcast For more episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at hooplaimpro.com. We'll also find a great range of resources and other information on our upcoming classes. And do give us a shout out on social media at hooplaimpro on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time.